This is an ABC podcast. I am in a very strange situation. Hello. Hi, is that Brooke? Yes, it is. I'm sorry, I'm on the top floor. Oh, that's fine. I'll come, I'll see you in a sec. I'm at a total stranger's house and I'm about to snoop through her wardrobe. You got the penthouse. Oh gosh, it smells so good in here. Brooke has a nice two-bedroom apartment, scented candles she actually uses, and a small problem. I'm not proud of myself. I don't... I'm not a bad person. I've been thinking a lot about how much I shop. I buy more clothes than I ever have before, and I know I'm not the only one. So I put out a call on social media. Brooke was who I had to meet first. I think most people would consider me a shopaholic. So take me on a tour. Okay, this is the bedroom. Quite tight on the space front. Her place is like Mary Poppins' handbag. So I have storage under my bed, which is for things that I'm not wearing, you know, smaller sizes. Like an aspirational wardrobe? Yeah, aspirational wardrobe. I, I've got to buy this so no one else has this and I'll wear it sometime when I'm cool. That's right. Maybe I will go to a music festival where I really want these fringe leather boots. Yes, yes. With braiding and tassels. How many items do you reckon we're looking at here mashed together? Oh, I don't know, maybe a hundred, I suppose. There's more in the other room. Yeah. Okay, okay, so this is a two-bedroom apartment, but it's basically just a, a home for clothes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I wish I could get rid of more, but I bought three, five things last week, which isn't unusual. You know, at times when I've been working a lot, I have rewarded myself with clothes, shoes, bags. Yes. There's nothing like the thump of a package on your front step. There is a, a small amount of joy when I click purchase and I think, OK, in about a week's time, my DHL man will be bringing that to me. His name is Alex, by the way. Hi, Alex. And the arrival of Alex, the delivery fairy, leads Brooke to a little ritual. I have noticed that I leave it in the bag on the table for a few days. It's like I know that it's there and it's new and it's waiting to be unwrapped. And then I will cut the tags off it and wear it for the first time. And then that joy feeling is, you know, taken over by a little bit of remorse because I just feel like I have exacerbated my problem of having more clothes than I can actually wear in a month. <laughs> Stories like Brooks are so common. And that insatiable want we have for more stuff, I mean, that's not entirely our fault. Fashion's fun, right? It's never been a better time to update your wardrobe. Clothes are cheap and easily available. Trends change so fast that you can see boyfriend jeans in Milan and the next week they'll be in Westfield Maribyrnong, in your size at a price you can afford. So, depending which side you're on, it's either the best time in history to shop for clothes or the worst, because there's a teensy-weensy problem no one's talking about. I'm Veronica Milsom, and this is Threads, the podcast series unravelling our collective clothing pile, because it is getting out of control. And I know what you're thinking, Veronica, please don't ruin fashion for me. I love clothes. Well, same. But don't worry. We're going to figure this out. Okay, so I'm standing outside in a very large shopping mall. I figure, you know, if I'm going to be making a podcast about fashion, I need to go shopping. 
I mean, I need to talk to people about their shopping because, oh boy, we shop hard. You go out, you buy a new outfit, you almost, you're a different person and it's very like freeing. Pretty much everyone I'm talking to is loving a bit of retail therapy. You see something you like, and you're like, no, I've worked hard for this. Yeah, I've worked an extra shift, I've, yeah. you know, I've worked a double shift. I still love the experience of going in store. I get very excited waiting for my parcel. <laughs> very excited. <laughs> oh, same, same. We all feel like that. The average Australian buys 56 pieces of clothing a year. That's more than one a week, which is kind of nuts, right? So how many new items are you buying, like, a week, for example? A week? At least one. OK. That's a lot. Well, I have three full wardrobes. I mean, I bought like five shirts like three days ago. Kind of like once it's been online and once a few people have seen you in it, I hesitate to wear it again. But it wasn't always like this. I remember as a kid, I had one good outfit. It was a very 90s versatile velvet vest, appropriate for any occasion, funerals, blue light discos. So in the last 20 years, what's changed? Fast fashion didn't exist when we were children and we were fine. That is Aja Baba. She's a writer and slow fashion consultant who has watched fast fashion explode. Aja says when she was growing up, she wore mostly hand-me-downs. So when fast fashion came to the scenes, damn, she hit the shops like the rest of us. But there was a question in the back of her head. I just couldn't stop saying, but how is it so cheap? And then it would be like, oh, just shut your mouth and buy the dress. Like, you're, you're being a killjoy for your friends. Come on, Aja, buy the dress. In the past, we had four seasons a year that the fashion calendar sort of operated on. And within recent years, you see some stores where fast fashion seasons are 50 in a year. So every time you go into a store, go, they've got new things every time I'm here that's a new season. Okay, so in a nutshell, it's cheap clothes that follow trends and don't last very long. This means fast fashion makes a metric shit ton of clothes. The numbers around this are bonkers. The World Economic Forum estimates 150 billion new items of clothing are made every year. There's only 7.5 billion people on the planet. Does that seem wild to you? So when the trends move on, what the heck happens to our clothes? I donate my clothes. Yeah, I'm when a donator. I'm done. Yeah. Or like give them away or, you know. Yeah. Yeah. No, nah, I always got to put them to more use. Although clothes these days don't last as long as what they used to, I correct. think. Yeah. If you're not using the clothes, someone else can. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so yeah, we might shop a little bit more than we really need to. But if we can just donate the excess, I mean, that's good, right? Is there someone who can confirm that is good? Who runs op shops in Australia? Hi, Veronica. I'm Omar. I'm the CEO of Charitable Recycling Australia, which represents all the charity shops in, in, in the country. This is Omar Soka, or as I like to call him, the op shop king of Australia. I get straight to the point. So if, uh, if for example, hypothetically, I had a big shopping problem, yeah. is, is like an op shop an option for me of a way that I can kind of cancel out my shopping problem, do you think? Uh, (laughs) Are you talking about shopping karma or, right? Yeah, Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) Like, is it viable that I can be like, well, I'll just buy heaps of stuff because it's going to a good place, right? Absolutely, yes. But look, not only will you have an environmental impact by extending the life of that 
piece of clothing. Also, the money raised goes to the mission of all of those charities. So all our charity shops generate about $961 million for social good. That's almost a billion dollars. So that's food, shelter, homelessness, mental health, a wide range of illnesses and disability support. There's just, just so much there. So it's really important. Ah, yes, I knew it. I'm basically Mother Teresa. Time to do some good. Okay, who's coming with me to the salvos? Can you step off that? That's the last of the things that I need to put in this bag. What Oma said has spurred me on. So I'm going to do the thing I do every six months. Clean out my wardrobe, fill a bag and take it to the op shop. It feels good. Donate, recycle, clear the old wardrobe and cleanse myself of all my clothes hoarding sins. All right, it is jam-packed full of designer items that I have never worn. All right. Who's ready for a trip? Okay, I've just pulled up in my car uh, and I've arrived at the op shop strip of Australia. And so you've got your Anglicare, Vinnie's, Salvo's, there's about three others. I'm just going to choose at random which one I go into and give my bag. So I lug my bag to the counter of an op shop where the woman there, Julie, tells me something really interesting. If the good things just can't be sold, they'll get distributed to our warehouse and sometimes those will go out to one of the third world countries, Africa, and be given to the, those people. Right, so there is like a magical sorting facility that exists somewhere. Julie said many more words, but what I heard was warehouse. Many of my favorite places are warehouses. The chemist, the hardware store, a rave I once went to. I'm taking my bag there right now. To the warehouse! Wait, where is the warehouse? I ring Omar again. He's basically on speed dial now. Where do you keep your treasures? Uh, Omar, hi. Can you tell me where the warehouse is? Well, this is it. I've arrived. The magical sorting centre. Tubs as far as the eye can see. It's a huge factory and people in high-vis just sorting quickly, as fast as they can, through these big wads of clothes. I'm in the western suburbs of Sydney at the warehouse for the op shops run by Anglicare. There's a shitload of stuff in here. And not just old clothes. So we've had things like samurai swords, we've had a, a stuffed cat. Like their pet got taxidermied and they donated it. Yeah. yeah. If you went to the trouble of taxidermying your own pet, why would you donate it? Oh, the person died, didn't they? We have no idea and we're, you know, constantly surprised with what people like to put in clothing bins. Uh, years ago we had someone... This is Ian Moore. He's the big dog around here, a.k.a. head of retail for Anglicare. And he's obsessed with clothes. I would have to say my fashion style is whatever's been ironed. But not his clothes, yours. Specifically, the clothes you don't want anymore. Ian spends his days surrounded by barrel loads of clothes being sifted through by busy sorters. So we receive over 45 tonnes per week of clothing, textiles. 45? 
five tonnes. That's the weight of about eight elephants coming in every week. It's really challenging for our sorters as well because they've got about four seconds to make a decision every time they pick up an item to which category they're going to put that in. Okay. Gosh, the mass, the just huge amount of stuff that you're dealing with is so hard to wrap your head around. Okay, so Ian says clothes are funneled into four categories. A grade, the El Primo. Our highest grade we always send out to our op shops. Then there's the B grade. Yeah, why isn't so... this good enough to sell at the op shops? Unfortunately, some fast fashion items don't have the build quality. You know, it, it won't last many times. Ian says tonnes of fast fashion is classed as B-grade or lower. It gets packed up into kilogram bundles and either gets sold at markets or it goes to middlemen and gets shipped overseas. The C-grade stuff is worse quality still. A lot of those products, when they um, come in here, we will actually sort them into our ragging pile. And this is kind of the final opportunity for us to sell the product or otherwise it has to go to landfill. Well, the ragging pile, huh? Well, that's where I keep my ex-boyfriends. <laughs> and finally, there's the degrade. So I'm peering down into a massive compactor. I can see denim, jumpers maybe. So where does this go? That gets taken to a tip. Lock it. <laughs> All right, and then um, turn it on so on average it's 20 tons a week that will go through into the compactor wow okay this is one warehouse in one suburb in one city the scale is hard to describe but what's interesting is that the clothes that aren't good enough to sell here go overseas it is possible that someone in another country is wearing my pleather pants from supre right now but aside from that what are our cast-offs doing in these other countries? Well, it depends on who you ask. Omar, the upshop king, says, yeah, B-grade is a big business. Well, all right, but one day when it's kind of lost its, you know, sparkle and we can't sell it in Australia, can't sell it for five bucks, can't sell it for two bucks, what we do is we, we sell it per kilo, about 50 cents a kilo through commercial partners, and they go to countries with lower income consumers. So they go overseas to be used by people in need, and they also raise money for charity and create jobs overseas. So is it viewed as like a positive thing by countries overseas that they receive our textiles? Yeah, okay, good question. The trade has got lots of good benefits socially, environmentally, economically. The clothes that are shipped off to those countries um, they are sorted in Australia by the charities before they go to a commercial organisation. And then they do create jobs. Uh, they do extend the life of those, those clothes because people don't buy them here. So it's meeting a need, right? So our old clothes are getting a second life overseas and in turn are raising money for charity. Sounds like a win-win, but that's only one side of the story. There is a, a kind of darker side to this, which is there are enormous enormous volumes of textiles which are unsuitable to wear and they end up fueling a terrible waste crisis in Ghana. This is Linton Besser. He's an A-grade journalist who went to find out where our B-grade clothes end up. Uh, we all know what it's like at the front of the chain when we walk into one of these shops and buy something, but but what at the other, you know, what happens at the other end? Uh, yeah, Linton, that's exactly what I'm trying to find out. Turns out he was thinking the same thing. I mean, I don't have the budget to fly to Ghana, but he did. 
on a story where he visited one of the biggest secondhand markets in the entire world. Which is a place called the Cantamanto Market, the beating heart of the city. It's this sprawling labyrinth of shops and timber stalls. We arrived at about 3.30 in the morning and it was already absolutely packed. Some 5,000 retailers are all jammed in there. I spent some time with a, a really stand-up local um, importer, Emmanuel Ajab, and one of the markets he buys clothes from is Australia. And he showed me around his warehouse and we pulled down a bale of clothes. They were, they were described as light summer jackets. And so he tears open the plastic and, uh, and this bundle of, of jackets kind of spills out in front of us. And, you know, really familiar labels flashed by Suzanne Gray, Target, Zara, Billabong, Just Jeans, all of these jackets. And, and what was amazing was he quickly established the pile that was completely unsaleable because the collars were ringed with sweat. There were blood stains, there were buttons missing, there were tears and rips. There were 180 of these jackets in this bale. By the end of the sorting, which only took him kind of half an hour, 85 he simply tossed into the street out the front of his shop. Horrible, right? Those light summer jackets from Australia end up in the tip. And Linton says all those rejects, they pile up pretty quick. So Ghana's capital, Accra, has the capacity to process about 2,000 metric tonnes of waste per day. But because it's dealing with the, the textile waste of so many other countries, the city is producing almost double that volume every 24 hours. The formal waste processing capacity of the city is overwhelmed the moment that dawn breaks. So with Ghana groaning under the weight of the world's Murray Kondo'd cupboards, what did they do? The World Bank funded a, a world-class landfill to help address some of this problem. It was a $9.5 million project and it was going to have a 15-year capacity when it opened. That landfill, it, it actually reached its maximum capacity and overflowed within five years. And then it caught a light and it burned for 11 months and they couldn't put it out. And I spent a day wandering around on it. Half of it's on fire, half of it's filled with organic waste and smells like landfill. But most of it is, I don't know, Zara jeans and Billabong shirts and um, Country Road. And, you know, you, you bend down and you have a look and there's a perfectly good pair of jeans sitting there that was miss that's missing a zip. You're scaling this mountain of tossed away clothing. It is unbelievable. It casts a shadow over part of the, the slums. People live right up against it live in its shadow, literally. It's not their problem, it's a problem that we have sent them. But these old clothes don't just end up in a bin fire. Linton says a lot of this stuff gets washed into the ocean. You know, coming from Australia, a country of, you know, stunning beaches, this should be one of Ghana's great tourism draw cards. I mean, breathtaking. And it is utterly, utterly spoiled. You walk along the beach and what looks like little bits of plastic or something lying on the sand 
you bend down to it and you realise it's not plastic, it's a little bit of fabric. It's firmly in the sands and as you drop to your knees and you start to dig around this little shred of fabric, they call them tentacles. And these things are, you know, 10 metres long. They would weigh a tonne maybe. And they are wound together, buried metres and metres deep in the sand. They are impossible, literally impossible to excavate without heavy machinery. I remember one day I was, we were there filming and there was a, a little girl kind of playing on the beach with her friends and, and one of these tentacles had washed up on the beach and she was kind of trying to pull it out of the way because she was annoyed by it. It was in the way of their game. And it was just a normal matter of course thing for her to do to try and drag this thing out of the way so they can continue playing ball or whatever they were playing. It really was a pretty humbling moment and you, you just think, you know, next time I go into a clothing shop, do I really need that shirt in both colours? Okay, okay. Well, this is a very different picture to the one Oma Soka painted. Somehow, like, everybody seems to talk about Ghana, but, like, Australia doesn't export to Ghana, probably 1%. A lot of our stuff goes through Kenya, through the UAE, through those markets, and Australia is well, well applauded in terms of quality. So while the op shops say they don't ship to Ghana, what we do know is that when you take your bag into the op shop, the chances are good it won't ever end up on the rack because over half of all the clothes donated in Australia get sent overseas. That's right, of the 190,000 tonnes donated every year, almost 106,000 tonnes are sent to other countries for profit. So not only is there a financial incentive to offshore our unwanted clothes, but Omer tells me there's a practical one as well. If that trade stops, uh, what happens? You've got the same amount of stuff coming in, but you've just created 100,000 extra tonnes of low-quality stuff coming into Australia to landfill, so the unintended consequences are pretty severe. So it feels like it's a damned-if-you-do, damned-if-you-don't kind of scenario. Keep the clothes here and they go to our landfill, send them overseas and they go to landfill in Africa and the Middle East with jobs and profits created along the way. Is this the best we can do with what we have? Or is there a better alternative? So, Omar, if we can recycle glass and cardboard and soft plastics, like, why can't we just recycle clothes? Because there is no scalable end-of-life solution to clothes in Australia at the moment. There is the technology and the capability and the nascent mechanical, chemical and enzymatic processes to break down textile fibres, but it's just not commercially um, scalable yet. So... To recycle on a commercial basis, it needs to be viable. So the companies need to be able to make money, right? They won't do it just for fun. Okay, right. Fun. Hmm. Remember when we thought fashion was fun? You guys buying stuff today? Are you on one of your trips? Yes, we are. <laughs> yes, yes. Kind of fun. It's so fun. Yeah, great. Yeah. So we're having a bit of shopping after our little work event. I'm proud of my purchases today. It makes me feel good. I like wearing new things. Yeah, I like fashion. It's one of my hobbies. <laughs> it's like there are two stories here. The one fashion is telling us, it's easy and fun. Just look at this new pink puffer jacket and don't think about it too much. But then you take a peek behind the curtain and it's like, oh boy, we have a situation here. There are too many clothes. 
The shops are pumping them out faster than ever. The op shops are swamped, Ghana is literally a bin fire, and meanwhile, the clothes just keep coming. In the last 20 years, the global production of clothing has doubled, and they want to double it again in the next 10 years. How the hell did we get here? Next up, what does shopping do to our brains? I'm looking at influencers. My video hit a million and it was insane. Yep, those ones. But also the ones you can't see. Software right now could predict in real time what emotions you're going through. I'm going to find out the psychological tricks that manipulate us into buying and how we can outsmart them. They're going to use social media to hunt down their prey. Listen to it. That's on the next episode of Threads. Who do you think is going to save us from climate change? Reporters from the RN Science Unit and Triple J Hack have been travelling around the country asking that very question. I don't know. <laughs> Please, someone save us. Who's going to save us? Us as a community. I don't think anyone's going to do it for us. The kid on the street, the kid in class. We are the future. Who's going to get us there? And how are they going to do it? The new ABC podcast, Who's Going to Save Us? Follow Who's Going to Save Us on the ABC Listen app. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.